Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Hi, this is Tim Venable of Cornet Global. I'm here at our summit in Chicago, and I have the pleasure of talking with James Woodburn, corporate real estate strategist. James, thank you for speaking with us for this podcast. Thanks, Tim. It's fantastic to be here in person, and particularly with so many attendees. I can't believe over 2,700. It's massive. It's truly exciting. I'm delighted to have the opportunity to chat with you. You know, with both of us here this week for the summit, I thought it would be a great opportunity to get your thoughts on what's probably the number one topic on our members' minds these days, hybrid work. And particularly since you have lived and worked in Asia and have done projects and set up major offices in all the big markets in Asia throughout your career, I wanted to get your take on hybrid work and how it's being viewed and deployed in Asia and how that might be similar to or different than what's happening here in the U.S. Sure. And look, it is the topic of the, the conference, possibly over, over-topicked. It's, it's on everybody's mind, but uh, it's because it's such a big issue. I'd just like to, I guess, before answering that, start with three universally consistent thoughts on it. One is trust. That's what's been given to the, the, the team members with the pandemics sent home to work. And that's at risk because things are starting to evolve and that's at risk. That was a huge gain um, and is at risk. Flexibility is the other huge theme. It's cherished universally by everybody, um, getting to choose where and when they work. And so they've, we've unleashed the beast. People have got that, they love it, they cherish it. Uh, and then the third sort of strong theme is it's personal. This is not a one-size-fits-all solution. Every organisation, every office, every department's going to be different because the people are all different with different needs. Um, and so it's never been more complex for CRE leaders than it is today to, to navigate forward. So look, firstly, get on the same page. Hybrid is all about a mix of working from home or the office uh, or third spaces. Um, and CRE advocates universally have been on their soapboxes, in some cases for decades, championing the release of that personalised office, the desk, so that you can imagine what a blessing in disguise COVID was when it came along. A huge global experiment forced upon us overnight, and it worked. Mm-hmm. Now we're frantically navigating that path to normal. And my view is normal will be unique and different, nuanced at least, for every single business and country. My conviction being there is no extreme right or wrong. So there's 100% in the office is not going to be the solution, nor is 100% remote working for most businesses. So mandating returns, in my view, erodes that trust bank. Being remote 100% erodes that social capital that we've built up. Businesses need to find a balance. The truth is somewhere in the middle, but you have to tailor it for your individual circumstances. Social connections, knowledge transfer, mentoring, collaborative, serendipitous innovation, all work far better face-to-face. The patterns I'm seeing, um, the the return to office um, and remote mix is largely influenced by some very common sort of patterns and it's linked to geography and culture, um, home structures, management styles and the commutes. The commutes being one of the, one of the biggest drivers. Mm-hmm. With something like 19 markets across different countries in Asia that I've worked in, 
um, there is almost as many variations as to how the pathway to normal is playing out. Some markets, for example, China, haven't even started that journey, but they will. <laughs> okay, great. So let's think a little bit more about your home country, Australia. There are a lot of big multinational corporates with offices in cities like Sydney and Melbourne. I've seen them there in Sydney at Circular Quay, Barangaroo, and Darling Harbour. How is hybrid work affecting the workplace and the traditional office in Australia? Yeah, good question. Uh, Australia, in my view, entered it with a bit of an advantage, ahead of the curve, really, in terms of adjusting to offices of the future. Because pre-COVID, they probably at best had 60 to 70% attendance levels, whereas Mm. comparatively in Asia, the markets are more like 80 to 85%. So Australia was trending a lot closer to, say, the the US markets. There was a a lifestyle focus. Um, There's been trends of tree changes and sea changes, people moving out of the city. Um, We have very good third spaces, uh, cafes and clubs to work from. Um, And generally, fairly large homes, usually um, the single sort of nuclear family rather than multi-generational. So offering plenty of good places to work. Compare that to Hong Kong and China, it's completely different. Um, We've got uh, medium to long-term commutes, and that's a huge factor that's consistent driving people's behaviour patterns as we look around the region. So Australia at the moment is sitting at much lower occupancy levels, well below the 50%, and I'd say that's likely to be an embedded pattern uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, So, as I said, close to the US pattern. Let's turn now to another major market in Asia, that being Japan. Uh, Japan is known for placing value on tradition and on hierarchy. What's happening with hybrid work there? This was a big surprise market for me because it is one of those markets where people have to be in the office culturally. Presenteeism was a huge thing. You don't generally go home until the boss has gone home. So obviously everybody had to work from home with this worldwide experiment. Um, but it's, it's been adopted instantaneously overnight and it's been embedded well so you know units are tiny and so it was counterintuitive i thought they'd be back in the office as quickly as things opened up but those again those long long commutes they're wanting to avoid Um, and so it's been a big game changer uh, for japan in particular if it had been a normal Japanese way of doing it. There would have been lots of consultation, hours of meetings, and probably a decade later they'd still be talking about it. So I think for them, they see it as a great blessing and something, again, that's well embedded. Maybe not to the same levels of Australia, but certainly it's a paradigm shift for them. India is another major market in Asia for corporate offices and tech centers and a place where Cornet Global has many members. So if you would, tell us what's happening with hybrid work in places like Mumbai and, and Bangalore. Sure. We have lots of different stories coming out of India um, on what's happening. The consistent thing here, again, is that commute. Sometimes it's two hours each way uh, for staff. Um, And at the height of the pandemic, many um, workers went back to their home family country towns. So flights and hours and hours away um, and and away from those employment centres. So luring them back into the office is a serious challenge. and there's an unfortunate trend, which I've heard on the on the, the newscast here, even in the US, which was surprising, is having running two jobs, moonlighting. 
Um, it's been happening in India. It's happening here in the US, so I presume it's happening in many, many markets. Fortunately, it's only a very low percentage from what we're hearing. But if that continues and, and grows, that will erode that trust that was requested to start at the beginning of this you know, transition. And so I think it's critical that we work to find out ways to, to arrest that pattern. Exactly. James, it sounds like these markets can be quite different in their adoption of hybrid working. Can you point us toward any key success factors in adopting hybrid work? Is there a best mix or an ideal blend of in-office time and remote working time from your perspective? Yeah, sure. Look, the solution has got to work for both parties. So it's not just about the employee. It's not just about the company or its shareholders. It's got to be a win-win. Um, and coming back to that theme of trust, you know, we have to continue to trust and, and build on that. And the, and the staff need to demonstrate that that trust is rewarded and we also need our leaders to develop new management techniques because it's a whole new world managing people remotely an effort a considered and thoughtful effort needs to actually go into managing people when you don't see them all the time um a big investment's also needed, I feel, in creating a sense of community and engagement with staff because that's the social sort of need hot button in the workplace that it can create that you can't get when you're at home. Um, you get a little bit of it in a third place, but you really need a reason to having people back together. I think we're yet to um, work out. I heard on some of the, the talks today, we really are in experiment land. We don't have the answers. Um, so it's all about trialling it, testing ideas, ramping those ideas up. Don't bet the farm on any one idea. Don't go extreme. I don't think mandating it's the right answer. And I don't think keeping everybody at home and shutting all the offices is the right answer. And equally, I don't think having offices three days a week occupied, i.e. four days a week empty is the right answer. That will be the next problem that will evolve once we do get people back because smoothing people over a week is not going to get the socialisation working because you're going to have people passing like ships in the night. Um, the, the workplaces that will physically evolve, I think are going to obviously be less individual workstations, arguably none, um, and much more focus on those collaborative community-style spaces. Um, so making almost the, the workplace your, your getaway sort of um, off-siter, and that's your regular weekly off-siter for two or three days. Um, I'd for years before COVID dreamt of workspaces being 80% collaborative, um, you know, blended with hospitality and club-like features. Um, and that's the way we're seeing it all trend, or certainly that's the way the thinking's going. Um, so it's not a wonder places like Soho House are taking off. They offer great third spaces. People love hanging out in them, and they're growing with immense popularity. So I can see some of the most exciting workplaces adopting those elements and bringing them in and giving people that reason to want to be back together, want to, to be in the office. Mm -hmm. um, and that sort of pattern also explains why the co-working uh, models are also doing well. Because normally in times of uncertainty, 
we see un- downsizing of offices. People shrink their businesses, they reduce it. And the serviced offices in the past would always lose in those days because they're stuck with long fixed leases and it's very easy for people to drop leases. We did a lot of that in my former role, um, particularly in India and, and Malaysia, where we just dropped our serviced offices um, because the lease, lease expiries were quite short. Um, but these days, flexibility is that king. And so these co-working spaces are offering that and, and together the experience and, and community feel. So that's actually getting some real traction. And I think you'll see more and more of that blended into real estate strategies. Okay. And now for my last question. Thinking about hybrid working and the future of the traditional office, it seems there are several players in that overall ecosystem we need to think about. So we have building owners, we have landlords, we have the corporate tenants, we have tenant reps, we have those fully serviced offices and co-working groups you just mentioned. It's kind of a complex mix of players. Who, uh, from your perspective, wins and who loses in this new world of hybrid work? I can imagine each player has a somewhat distinctive agenda or view of what the future should look like? Gosh, Tim, we could start a whole new podcast on that question. Um, I'll try and keep this brief. Um, Owners of the older, less community-focused properties face a huge risk. They're going to be the losers. So there's going to be a flight to quality, to newer buildings um, that are precinct, activated, and have campus feels for them. And equally, that are leading edge on ESG targets, because that is all what is demanded by occupiers and the world. We're just at the start. We have a likely recession coming, which always mutes demand. So companies everywhere are trying to navigate the pathway to deliver new workspaces of the future that supports diversity and inclusion and also is sustainable um, and, and well utilised by teams. There's no point having these spaces if they're not used. So in that regard, I feel like we're in the eye of the storm right before the real action's going to start. It's this great big experiment. It's a little bit calm now as we're resettling. We don't have the answers. Um, We know generally the direction, but it needs to be experimented with, tested, trialled and rolled out. But overall, I feel tenants will win in the short term because there's going to be much better activated properties because there'll be intentional uh, direction of energy towards that and there'll be more choice for them as the demand drops. Um, Serviced offices and co-working can see tremendous upside for them. The digitally smart businesses that support uh, the provision of just-in-time flexible workspace has got huge upside in my view. So there's heaps of challenge and opportunity ahead for all of us, and I look forward to it and hope our listeners do too. (laughs) Exactly. Exciting times for our profession. So once again, thank you uh, very much, James, for sharing these insights with Cornet Global. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.